Let's pray now before we look at this passage. Our Father God, we thank you. Your word speaks of who you are and what you've done. And also, if we've been saved by you, how you want us to live in response. Please empower and guide me to preach your word with clarity and faithfulness, conviction and love. Love for you, love for others. By your spirit, open our hearts to hear, understand, receive, believe and be changed by your word that we might see how we should respond to you and to each other for the glory of Jesus. Amen. What is God's will for you? Many of us ask, what is God's will for me? What does God want me to do? And we often think, I I think, of the, the life decisions that we make as we seek his direction in our lives. You know, do I, do I go for this course or, or that one? This job or that one? Do we try for this house or, or wait for a better one? Will it be this school for our kids or, or that? Do I ask this person out on a date or not? Interestingly, though, often I think we hope God's will for us will result in more money, a better job, Better things, more personal happiness. Isn't that often the case? Many of us can focus on God's specific, usually often unclear will for our lives when the Bible wants us to focus on God's general will, his will for us all. You see, knowing God's will is not really about waiting for a word from God about this or that, X or Y, but it's about knowing how to live a life that pleases him. And I hope and pray that our time in this passage this morning will help you do that so you can follow God's will for your life. Remember how the chapter started last week. The Apostle Paul with Timothy is writing to these Christians he's never met in Colossae in modern-day Turkey. From Epaphras, who planted the church, Paul's heard of their faith and their love and their hope, and he thanks God for them often. Now he tells them what he's been praying for them, to encourage them. In fact, he's been praying for them constantly. And what has he been asking God for? Well, firstly, that they will know God's will. And that will result in four other things, all starting with G, four Gs, God's will. Growing knowledge, great endurance, and giving thanks. But we'll start where Paul starts. Look at verse 9 with me. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. They're praying the Colossians will know God's will. There's false, the false teachers come to the church. They've likely promised the the Colossian believes it, believers that they will be in the know if they just follow their new teachings. And it seems that the buzzwords they're using are knowledge and wisdom and spiritual. And, and if you follow our teachings, you'll find fullness and power. And all of these, these are key words, it seems, in their religious vocabulary. And Paul picks up on them and fills them with a Christ-centered understanding. But listen out for them about how Paul uses those words as we keep going. How can the Colossians come to know, fully know, God's will? Well, it's no secret 
knowledge reserved for the elite. Remember, look back at verse 5. It's the word of truth, the gospel. It's already come to them. That's knowledge given by God through his spirit. King David actually prayed for these same things, wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and understanding for his son Solomon. Uh, when after Solomon was about to become king after him, First Chronicles 22. And you may remember that Solomon was told by God that he could ask for anything he wanted. And he asked God for wisdom and insight or understanding, 2 Chronicles 1. We sing it in the kids' song, Make Me Wise. But for us, as New Covenant believers in Jesus, the wisdom is, it will always be grounded in the gospel. We don't move on from Christ to find this deeper knowledge of God's will somewhere else. Don't ever be tempted by someone who offers you a deeper knowledge of God outside of Christ or outside of God's word. Be wary of such people. Spiritual understanding, it's found in understanding Jesus Christ more and more. Paul says this, we'll come to it, the end of chapter 1, verse 25 and following. He says it in chapter 2, verse 2. Look at it. He also says it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, verse 17. It's about having Christ's death and resurrection dominate your thinking and shape your living as Christ and his will for you guides your life. Paul does not encourage the Colossians to seek visions or wait for a voice or word from the Lord. He prays that they'll, he's praying that they'll get deeper into God's word and know Christ and so understand God's will. For the general will of God is clearly given in the Bible and, and that must be our focus. And even more than the Colossians had, we have the completed word of God, the written word of God. And so for us, all wisdom and spiritual understanding means knowing and applying the principles in Scripture, the teachings of our Lord. And this is a spiritual exercise. For the, the Spirit and the Word, they, they work together. Remember what the sword of the Spirit is? Ephesians 6, the Word of God. But, but knowing God's will is not simply learning information. It's, he says it's so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Verse 10, fully pleasing to him. And so knowing God's will isn't an end in itself. It's to be lived out in obedience. Godly thinking, right thinking leads to right living. I've met some people, too many people, who become fixated on studying the deeper truths of the Bible. Usually they've been reading lots of books, listening to some preacher or, or teachers, and they want to share God's this knowledge they've discovered with everyone. And that's okay. Uh, too often, instead of getting burning hearts of devotion for Christ and a deeper love for others, they get big heads. And they start creating problems in their homes and their churches. We are to know God's will so that we will live lives that fully please him, God. It's just like with Kessie, my wife. When I know what she wants, when I know how to please her, uh, it will be helpful 
Okay, when I know that she wants me to speak to her gently and be careful with my tone of voice, then I'll do it to please her. When I know that she'd like me to not look at my phone and the next notification that's going on, gone off when she's talking to me, when we're having a conversation, then I'll do it. Should. Confess I don't always give her my full attention, but I should. You see, when we know what Jesus wants of us, we'll want to please him. The big question is, what does that look like? Which brings us to our next four Gs, not speaking of your phone. The next four Gs, the the first being good works. Verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. That's about the Colossians, all Christians, producing all kinds of good deeds. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Remember that story of Jesus being the vine and and us being the branches. And he says that in verse 5 there, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And in verse 9, as we think about this bearing fruit, verse 9, as the Father's loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And then in verse 12, this is what I command. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. So the fruit that Jesus wants us to bear is obedience to him, particularly love, love shown to others. Remember, in this letter, Paul has already thanked God for the Colossians' lives, their spirit-empowered love for their fellow Christians. And Jesus is saying here that that love means laying down our lives for our friends. Now that's not just literally taking a bullet for someone, like you dive in front of a gunman as a bodyguard. It means daily dying to self for others, denying our wants, our interests and putting others first. I want you to think, what does that mean for you? What does that look like for you? Is it in the way you serve your family? The way you ought to? Will it be in your faithful attendance at and the care you show to others at growth group this year or in you continuing to lead a growth group or be involved in play group or whatever it is? Or will it be in how you look to share Christ and, and your testimony with others at work or at school Because their salvation matters more to you than any possible rejection. It might mean sponsoring a needy child through compassion or partnering with a missionary financially over upgrading your couch or your car or your coffee machine. Maybe it means showing kindness to the person who wronged you. Or showing gentleness and self-control to someone else that you live with, maybe in your family, when you've even when you've had a terrible week, or you've gone without sleep. Doesn't mean giving of your time to listen and pray with a struggling brother or sister at Bundy, or serving in that Sunday or midweek ministry team, even when it costs you, even when you get up to get up early or stay late. What good works does God want you to do 
in love for others? What does he want you to bear fruits in? Or for you, maybe it's just about continuing in that love. Pleasing God also means, secondly, growing in our knowledge of God. God wants us to know him more. And the more we know of him, I'm sure the more we'll want to know. Because he is the totally glorious and good and holy and loving and all-satisfying one. And Christ, as we'll hear next week, he is the image of the invisible God, verse 15. And, and we read in John's gospel, chapter 1, chapter 14, that, that we know God through knowing his son Jesus. So how can we grow in our knowledge of God? Four things, briefly. Firstly, we must desire it. Honestly, we won't do it unless we want to. We must want to know God and know Christ more. Do you earnestly desire to know God more deeply? The one who made us and loves us sent his son to save us. Secondly, we must depend upon the spirit in prayer. As Paul prays here, pray for yourself, pray for others that we will know God more and that you'll want to know God more if you don't pray for it. Renewed spirit-given desires. Pray for that. Thirdly, study the scriptures. It is in God's word where he tells us about himself. God wants us to have a, a correct understanding of him and not be ignorant, but also to know him relationally, deeply. To recommit to daily or regular time in God's word, even if it's just 10 minutes. Having a deeper understanding of the word, when we really think about it, think about how we respond, it will help us to know God better. Fourthly, I want to suggest that reading good Christian books that organize and explain and relate God's word to us, that that will also help us. Have you been reading anything lately? Maybe you could try one of these. A Life of Faith by Jensen. Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Keller. John Stott's The Cross of Christ. or Robert's God's Big Picture gives you an overview of the Bible. Chester has great books, The Ordinary Hero, but Daily Living for Jesus, and he has a helpful book on the Trinity, and Packer's classic Knowing God. And I know we're not all readers, Maybe you're not a reader and you don't have much time, but could you still read four pages a day or 20 minutes on a Sunday afternoon, bit by bit? You see, life will always be busy and we'll always have competing priorities and we'll always struggle with our own sinful desire for comfort and our own pleasure first. But let's be intentional about growing in our relationship with our Saviour and Lord. And when we do, it will actually help us want to please him. Paul also prays that they will please God thirdly by showing great endurance. And to show endurance through trials, it, it requires God's grace and strength. And you see, that's what Paul's been praying for the Colossians, that, that by God's glorious might, he will strengthen them with all 
power. That means the the glorious, incomparable, all-powerful God, he is able to give his people power to persevere. So Paul prays for that, power to persevere. And that's something we should be praying for one another too. I know some of you are going through difficult trials at the moment. And honestly, we only need endurance when we've got something we have to endure, something hard that that we have to endure. And we need great endurance, as Paul prays, in the face of great suffering. The word patience there can also be translated as as the King James does, as long-suffering. Who of us likes that? But, But the power available to us to sustain us in that is the power of the infinite, limitless God. His power is infinite and limitless. And God wants you to know this and believe this. He can sustain you. I pray that God will give you the strength to show great endurance and patience and hang in there, patiently persevering in trusting him every day. As Psalm 130 said that we read earlier, remember, we we need to wait on the Lord and in his word put our hope to cry out for strength every day. I'm truly encouraged when I visit believers in their 80s and 90s as I did this last week. When I see them growing in, sorry, showing great endurance in their faith, in the face of weakness, in the face of the loss of their independence and their health and their strength, when they grieve and they suffer ongoing pain, I'm encouraged. When I see a parent hanging in there in the particular challenges with their children, when I see a person not giving up the fight against that sin, or when a Christian with illness says no to becoming impatient and resentful and bitter, When a young person struggling with anxiety keeps asking God for strength to trust him and pushes themselves out of their comfort zone, I'm encouraged. So does God want you to show endurance in your impossible situation? Or maybe patience with that impossible person? God's power is able to help you endure patiently in the trial, in whatever you're facing. Pray for that. Believe that. For endurance is God's will for you. A pastor often visited a Christian, a young Christian man. This man had been badly burnt. The young man had to lie still for hours and it was difficult for him even to do basic things for himself. The young guy said to the pastor one day, I wish God would do a miracle and heal me. Pastor replied, God is doing a miracle, but not the kind you're looking for. I have watched you grow in patience and kindness these weeks. That to me is a greater miracle than the healing of your body. What will you pray when you next go through hardship? 
Who at Bundy could you pray for this week? Or add to your prayer list so you pray for them every week? Could you pray this passage for them? Fourth and final G is that we please God in our giving thanks. In verses 3 to 8, Paul was giving thanks to God for the Colossians' faith and love and hope. Here he's praying that they will be able to keep giving thanks joyfully to the Father. Why? Because, look, verse 12, our Father God has enabled you to share in the inheritance, the saints' inheritance, in the light. That's exactly the same for us. If we've put our trust in Jesus, we should give thanks because God has enabled us, qualified us to share in the inheritance in light that awaits all God's people. Maybe, though, you feel you're not qualified for heaven, that you're not worthy, you're not deserving. I want to say you're not, and I'm not. But God has given it to us, and we trust his Son. Our share in heaven, the new heaven and earth, it's only received as a gift, it's not earned. Just look at verses 13 and 14. Here is more reasons for gratitude. God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. I want you to picture these two sides of the barrier on the screen as two fields separated by a high, impenetrable, unclimbable fence. One field is under the rule of Satan. The other is under the rule of God's own son. And it's like we're all born on the left side of the barrier, outside the fence. We're all born out of the Garden of Eden. We're born out of the garden, outside of relationship with God, outside of God's kingdom. We are all born in the realm where Satan has some authority, where sin, darkness, and death rules and prevails and has power. And people who remain there will face God's judgment. But in God's love and grace, he comes to us in his son, the saviour, And when we believe the gospel, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God picks us up and transfers us from one field to the other, so to speak, from the field of sin and Satan into the field ruled by his son, where there is forgiveness and freedom and light and life. We believers have been transferred from the harsh rule of the prince of darkness into the wise and righteous kingdom of God, under the the wise and righteous and loving rule of King Jesus. It's not a perfect illustration, but I hope it helps. You see, the transfer is not about a geographical place. It's, It's about a realm of authority. We've been transferred and taken from the dominion of darkness. God has rescued us from ignorance and darkness, rebellion and sin. He's rescued us from hopelessness and judgment. And we've been redeemed, set free from sin's power and punishment, from eternal death and a judgment in hell. 
because our sin and rebellion has been forgiven. Our sin is not counted to us because it was laid on Jesus. He carried it on the cross. The writer of Psalm 130 looked forward to the day of their redemption. We look back. We look back to the cross because redemption involves the payment of a price and Christ gave his life to set us free. He died for our forgiveness, our freedom, our rescue. And doesn't that move you to want to thank him? For these great gospel blessings, that they're all gracious gifts of God, we give thanks. And we should give thanks in our praying, singing, and from our hearts joyfully. I hope the Lord's Supper today helps you do that, to give thanks. We should give thanks joyfully. And if you are not thankful for the life you have now in Christ, the life that you will have for all eternity, is it because deep down you think you've earned it? Or is it because you take it for granted and you don't think about what God has given you in Christ? Or maybe you're just so overwhelmed with your suffering or your busyness that it's hard to see past that. Or if you're feeling overwhelmed or guilt-ridden in response, please remind yourself it's not about what you do, for it's already been done. Salvation and the Christian life is not firstly about what you do, but but what Christ has already done. So remember, think about, focus on what Christ has already done for you. And then you will want to do it. You will want to live a life that pleases God because of what he's already done. You want to please your Lord because you've been saved by grace. Verse 5 and 6, you have a hope of heaven because you've been rescued and redeemed and forgiven. And so even when life is hard, Even if life is hard for you at the moment and you feel there's not much you can thank God for in your circumstances, a Christian can always thank God for these things, these gospel blessings. So brothers and sisters, pray that you will grasp these gospel truths more deeply and take them to heart and remember them each day so you will want Give thanks. And just like any earthly father, our heavenly father is pleased when we say thank you. Paul has been expressing what he's been praying for the Colossians. That they will know God's will, fully know God's will, so that they will live lives that fully please him in good works, growing knowledge, great endurance and thanksgiving. What great things for us to pray. What helpful, good, godly things for us to pray for ourselves and for the Christians in our families, in in our church, others near and far. If you're not sure what to pray for your believing parents or grandparents, pray this. 
If you're not sure what to pray for the missionary or AFES worker that you've not received a prayer letter from in ages, pray this. Pray this for your children, for your spouse, for your brothers and sisters in this church, for your growth group members in 2024, for your pastors, for those you know enduring trials. What is God's will for you? You please him. In a life of good works, growing to know him more, great endurance, being someone who gives thanks. Remember, we've been rescued. Now by his strength, live to please your Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all these great life-transforming things you've done to us as a gift. You have forgiven us, rescued us, redeemed us, transferred us into the kingdom of your son, made us citizens of heaven. We are blessed. May we think and meditate upon these things more. May we want to know you more in response. and want to live lives that please you. We pray, God, that you might Change us to be more like Jesus, that you might give those of our number, those hearing and watching today, you might give them by your glorious might great power to endure and be patient. And we pray, God, that you might move us to love one another generously, sacrificially for their good, for your glory, that you are a good father. And we pray we'd always believe that. Amen.